Y'all good this morning? Man, we got a pretty packed house for Labor Day weekend. You wouldn't know it around New Life Church. Man, gold stars for everybody this morning. Good to see you here. So good to worship with you. If this is your first time with us. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor of New Life East. And uh, it's a joy to be bringing the word to you this morning. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah chapter 3. And so if you have Bibles, I'll invite you to turn there. Uh, if you have just a mobile device, that also is acceptable. If neither of those things, we'll have it on the screen in just a minute here. A couple announcements I want to pass you away before we get started this morning. Uh, first of all, uh, you might have heard that we've got a big marriage conference coming up this weekend here at New Life North, the EXO Marriage Conference. How many of you are already registered for it? Do we have some of you? Yes. All right. Good job. This is going to be a great marriage conference. Pastor Brady, Pastor Jimmy Evans, and many others. Bringing the word, just a day of equipping and encouragement, training and development and how uh, to live out the vocation of marriage uh, in a godly way, in a satisfying way. So you can register for that uh, on the website or you can see us out in the lobby after the service and we can get you all signed up for that. Also remember that we're continuing our weekly prayer meetings here at the church. And so we're gathering Wednesdays every day, like Wednesday is kind of our big prayer day. And so 7.30 a.m., noon and 6.30 p.m. in the World Prayer Center. Uh, folks from across all the congregations are gathering together for prayer. So if you've got some time in your schedule, we'd encourage you to join us. God has been meeting us in a powerful and profound way in these prayer meetings, and we're watching him do amazing things. I think that it's actually stirred up the spirit of our congregation in a beautiful way. So take time for that. Uh, on the first Wednesday of the month, that evening meeting is actually going to be our first Wednesday gathering. And guess what next Wednesday is? It's First Wednesday. We're so happy. We take the summer off. If you're new around here, First Wednesday is a time of extended worship and prayer that we do the first Wednesday of the month right here. Again, all congregations gather together. And this coming Wednesday is going to be a very special one because we are baptizing people. It's going to be amazing. So if you've never been baptized or you've got somebody in your life that needs to enter the waters of baptism, you can register them online or out in the lobby or whatever. But it's going to be a beautiful time. So I hope that you can join us. Last Sunday, uh, we celebrated Pastor Brady's 15-year anniversary as a senior pastor of this church. An amazing, beautiful Sunday. Sent out Pastor Glenn Packiam. Beautiful Sunday. And Brady, uh, during his message out of Nehemiah 2, talked about responding to the call of God, which is really so much what the book of Nehemiah is all about. That God lays callings upon our life, and as we respond to them, a life is shaped by that. And what Pastor Brady talked about last week is that as we move forward in that, there are going to be attacks on our character to try to cut us down and take us out of the call of God. And so I want to pick up where he left off last week and just talk some more about what it looks like when we begin to respond to the call of God and what impact that actually has in the world. So I'm going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. If you have Bibles or cell phones and you're there, why don't you let me know by saying I'm there. That's most of you. Good job. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gates. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. And the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, love that guy, built next to him. And the fish gate was re rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. And they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. And Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. And next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. And the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Yeah, we all feeling it this morning? I know you're sitting there, you're like, he's really going to preach out of this chapter? I picked the wrong Sunday. Oh, just wait. 
Just wait. The Jashana gate, verse six, was repaired by Jehoiada, son of Paseah and Meshul. I took Hebrew in seminary, so I feel like my Hebrew professor is somewhere smiling at me. Good job, Arndt. The son of Basodia. And they laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. And next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatiah, son of Gibeon, Jadon, Maranoth. Places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates and Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Incredible. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of the Hass district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumath, made repairs opposite the house. And Hattush, son of Hashabniah, made repairs next to him. And Melchizedek, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section. The tower of the ovens, and Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of the Hass district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his d- daughter. Should we keep going on? You're supposed to say yes. Okay, this is the holy word of God. But for the sake of time, we're not going to. The chapter actually continues to go on and on like this, uh, describing all of the people that helped out with the wall. But one verse I did want you to pay attention to because we're going to circle back to it. It's verse 20, just a little bit later. In the chapter here, the scripture says that next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, what did he do? He didn't just repair. What did he do? He zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest, brothers and sisters, even this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, amen. amen. Lord Jesus, here we are in your presence. Thanking you that the scripture, Paul says that every scripture is God breathed. It's all God breathed. All of it has the inspiration, all of it, the breath of God that made us alive at the very beginning of all things. Paul says that all the scripture, even these lists are God breathed and they're useful to us for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, the man of God, the woman of God might be equipped for every good work. So we pray, creator spirit, come to us through this text. We say spirit of the living God, enliven us by this text. We're saying spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, raise us from the dead by this text. Come, we say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, I want to lift three observations from this text to encourage you this morning in your own sense of calling, how God is leading you in your life. And the first observation is this, that obedience to the call of God is always galvanizing. Obedience to the call of God is galvanizing. You remember now, by now you know it by heart, the story of Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer to the king, a Persian king living in a foreign land. He'd never been to the city of Jerusalem, but he heard that his people were in trouble and disgrace and the wall was broken down and the work that had been going on there all of a sudden had been discontinued and he's cut to the soul by it. And so he goes to the king and he says, King, the Lord has laid it on my heart to do this work. What do you think about that? And he had favor not only with God, but also with man. And the king decided to open up the royal treasury and say to Nehemiah, man, go back and anything that you need, let's get that city rebuilt. And so Nehemiah goes back to the city And when he gets there, he begins talking with some of the leaders of the area and describing what he wants to do. And all of a sudden, one by one, they come out of the woodwork saying, yes, Nehemiah, we'll be about that. And by the time we get to chapter three, now we see this, that they've begun the work on the wall, rebuilding this city. And we've got people from five miles away, 10 miles away, 20 miles away, 30 miles away on foot. They're making the journey to Jerusalem to be part of this thing that's happening in Jerusalem. But where did it begin? With one person saying yes to the call of God. And all of a sudden, the promises of God 
these great promises that Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and others spoke of about the great rebuilding of Jerusalem, these promises are coming to, they're, listen, they're coming true right before their very eyes because one person said yes to the call of God. Are you with me this morning? And it only takes one person. That's how the call of God always works in the scriptures. In fact, when you think about biblical history, biblical history always proceeds because one person says yes to the call of God. As you think about Moses, there he is on the backside of the mountain. He comes and he sees the burning bush and God speaks to him from within the bush, sends him back into Egypt. And he says to Pharaoh, Moses, one guy says to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, let my people go. And then he goes to his own people and he says, God is leading you up out of this place of oppression and misery and toil. And what happens? It's galvanizing. Pharaoh ultimately bends the knee to the power of Yahweh and the people of God come around Moses and millions of them now make the journey out of slavery and into the promised land. Why? Because one person said yes. You think about the great story of David and Goliath. David, this young man, the youngest of Jesse's sons. And during that time in Israel's history, Israel had been oppressed by the Philistines, constantly badgering them and beleaguering them. And there's this giant Goliath issuing taunts to the people of God and insults to the name of their God. And David comes to the battle line just to help out his brothers. And when he gets there, he sees this awful thing happening. And he goes, what, 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 so we're just going to like let him insult us? We're just going to let him insult the name of a no, not on my watch. And David goes and he gets his sling and the stones and he runs to the battle line and he says to Goliath, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of the hosts of Israel, whom you have disgraced and I'll kill you and cut off your head. And he does so. And a great revival breaks out in Israel. All of a sudden they're no longer oppressed. They get the upper hand against the Philistines. It always works this way, guys. Nehemiah is just one man. He's cut to the heart by the call of God and all of a sudden sacred history begins to go into motion. I'm saying to you this morning that that is how the plan of God always happens. That God lays something on somebody's heart and all of a sudden things change. One of my favorite figures from the history of Christianity is the great mother Teresa. Most of you in this room probably know of her work, the great work that she did in the slums of Calcutta, serving among the poorest of the poor for many decades. The story with Teresa, she's this little Albanian girl growing up at the beginning of the 20th century. But she had a missionary that would constantly come to their house and tell these stories of what the Lord was doing in India. And when she was very young, she felt a call to go and be among the poorest of the poor. She became a teenager and decided that the way that she would flesh that call out is by being a, teen, a teacher. And so she moved into a little convent in Calcutta and she started teaching. But this convent was nice and safe. She's got everything that she needs and she's got meals and shelter and clothing and all of that. And meanwhile, there are all these people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people that didn't have it in her heart over the years broke for them. And in 1946, September of 1946, she was on a train ride up to the mountains of Darjeeling, her annual retreat. And while she was on that, that train ride, she felt as though the spirit was leaning upon her in a fresh way. She called it a call within a call, that the Lord was calling her to leave that nice, safe little convent and to just live her life among the poorest of the poor to go be with the sick and the suffering and the dying, ministering to them in the name of Jesus and with the love of Jesus. And so she responded to that. And over many decades, she served and loved and gave her life to them. She used to say that it's a beautiful thing when people who are dying like animals are loved like angels, loved and wanted. She gave her life to them. 
And over the decades that followed, all of a sudden there were centers, the missionaries of charity sprung up all over the world, over 600 places in the poorest places, in the hardest places of the world. And thousands of women had taken the vow to do the same thing that Teresa did. How did that happen? Because a young Albanian girl decided to say yes to the call of God. It's galvanizing. It pulls people together and sacred history goes into motion. I think about the story of New Life Church. Friends, we are here because of all kinds of moments like that. Moments where people said yes to the call of God. I think about the work that we're doing on the east side of the city with New Life East. I've been on staff here now at New Life Church for five years. And not long after I came on staff, when we came on staff, we came on staff with no agenda other than to serve and to love and to bless the people here and to try to build this church up however we could. And Pastor Brady came into my office one day and sat down and he said, Andrew, I just really feel like we're supposed to be on the east side of the city. Like we got these congregations spread out in other places, but we don't have anything over there And there's a couple good congregations over there, but you know the city is growing. What do you think about that? And I said, Brady, I totally agree. All the development is going to happen on the east side of the city and a couple good churches, but we need, we need good congregations. Who do you have in mind? How about you? I think you got the wrong guy. We were coming off of an eight-year stretch of pastoring in Denver and our hearts were still tender from having left that and just felt vulnerable. And I remember saying, I don't know if I can do that. And no pressure, no coercion. He said, just pray about it. Consider it. We're not under any kind of rush or external constraint. Take your time. Just listen. So Mandy and I spent the better part of a year praying over that decision. God, what are you saying? God, help us. And eventually we got to the point where we said, God, this wasn't like in our plans. This isn't something that we had decided, you know, like five years ago, we never would have dreamed of this. But here we are. And I remember being very honest with the Lord. I was like, Lord, I'm still feeling so raw and vulnerable in my own spirit. But if you're calling us to do this thing, then we'll do this thing. And so Brady's yes leads to Andrew and Mandy's yes. And pretty soon we're talking with people from across all the congregations and holding interest meetings. And as we're holding these interest meetings, more people start saying yes to the call of God. And pretty soon we've got a group of 300 people that said, oh yeah, sign me up for that. I'm going to help start a new congregation on the east side of the city. And so we launched New Life East on Super Bowl Sunday of 2020, 750 people are there in the presence of God, drinking in his presence and hearing the gospel and being encouraged. Give thanks to God for that. And all of the ministry now that's taking place out there, we're seeing people come to Jesus and we're seeing the poor taken care of and we're seeing the hungry fed. We're seeing the saints built up. How did that start? One, yes, it's the first domino and it causes a cascade effect. That's what happens with Nehemiah. The book of Judges has this great line, Deborah, the judge, rises up to help Israel out. And she sees this great revival take place in Israel. She sings this song when her days of helping to deliver Israel are over. She says, when the princes in Israel take the lead and when the people willingly offer themselves, it's like she doesn't know how to finish the sentence. She just goes, praise the Lord. And that's how it is. When people step up inside the call of God, people, other people start willingly offer themselves and God gets glory through it. Are you with me, ladies and gentlemen, this morning? Now, I know that you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but Andrew, like I'm not Mother Teresa. Like that's not my call. And I'm not Pastor Brady, the pastor of a huge megachurch. That's not my call. 
and I'm not really Nehemiah, you know, and I'm not, I'm not Moses and I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just me. But that's exactly my point. You are just you and God has a call on your life. And if you don't fulfill it, who will? He's made you and he's designed you. This is what Paul says in Acts 17. Paul says that he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. You have been installed in your life for a reason. And the challenge that's at your feet is not becoming Mother Teresa or Pastor Brady or David or anybody. The challenge is you becoming you in response to the call of God, what God has put in front of you. What is the domain that God has given you? What is the area of responsibility that God has given you? What are the relationships that God has given you? What has God put in your lap? And are you giving him the yes that you're called to give him? We moved in 2009 to Denver to help plant and pastor this church. And the first two years of our time there, the church was ambling along slowly. We got there and it was 60 or 70 people. And by the time 2011 rolled around, we were maybe a hundred or so folks. And Nobody's writing headlines about our little church in Denver. Nobody was doing a write-up. We were not on the fastest top list of the fastest growing churches in America, nothing like that. But we loved those people so much. And I remember, you know, the Apostle Paul, he said of the Thessalonians, he said, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you'd become so dear to us. And we were tender with you like a mother and like a father caring for you. And I felt that way about that church. And we were there for two years and I remember looking out of the church and those of you that are parents in the room, you know this feeling that you see more for your kids than they see for themselves. You see their potential, don't you? That's part of what makes you ache for your kids. You see what they could be. You to be a pastor is to be like that. And it doesn't matter the size of the church. And I remember looking at them, a group of a hundred people thinking there is so much more for us than we're experiencing. And I sensed just the call of the spirit that I needed to lean in in a fresh way as a leader. And so I got up in September, 2000. And 11, and I stood up in front of the congregation and I said, I've been your pastor here for two years and I've fallen in love with you and I believe in what we are. But I also think that you have more in you than you realize. I think that this church can be more. I think that we can do more. I think that there is more work for us to do in this city. I think that the dreams of God are bigger for you than you have for yourself. Think about, Paul, about what Paul says. He says that God is the one who can do exceedingly and abundantly far beyond all we could ever ask or even enter into our minds the dreams of God are always bigger. And I got up in front of them and I said, I'm willing to give myself to that, to the high call of God in this place. If you're also willing, let's do this together. And it was something about that moment. It was like the spark that lit the fire. And all of a sudden we saw people stepping up and coming out of the woodwork. And that ministry grew to 500 or so people ministering in a hard place in the heart of downtown Denver, ministering to people and seeing them reconciled to God and brought into the life of the kingdom. How did it start? One yes. It's one yes. And I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what responsibility God has given you. It doesn't necessarily need to be for some big ministry or some church or a business. Sometimes it's as close as the very people that you live with under your roof. Mandy and I have been married for 22 years. We got four beautiful kids, Ethan, Gabe, Bella, and Liam. We've been parents for 16 years. And I can tell you that over the course of our time together as a family, there have been so many moments when something about the culture of the family and the drift of the family just wasn't right. And either Mandy or me, we would feel it in our bones. And one of us would stand up and just go, you know, the way that this thing is going right now, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with how our family is drifting. I'm not okay with how we're talking to each other. I'm not okay with this atmosphere that we seem to be living with. No, I'm not doing it anymore. 
God, if you're willing to come with me, I think that we can be better than we are. And we'd watch the family rise up out of that. Friends, I don't know what God has given you, but I know this, that if you'll respond to the call of God and be a leader in the space that God has given you, it will be galvanizing. And sure, you'll experience a little bit of resistance and you'll get some attack from the left and the right, but it will put sacred history in motion. Please respond to the call of God. Are you with me this morning? Obedience to the call of God is galvanizing, number one. Number two, I'll say to you this morning that there are times when the call of God demands that we transcend who we think we are to answer it. There are times when the call of God demands that we transcend who we think we are to answer it. The fascinating thing, you might've noticed it about this chapter here in Nehemiah, is that Nehemiah doesn't just go out of way, his way to name the names of the people that did the work at the wall, but he goes out of his way to name the names and the occupations of the people who did the work of the wall. Think about it. Here's Nehemiah 3 and verse 1, just to give you a few examples. Eliashib the what? What was his occupation? The high priest and his fellow priests, they went to work and they rebuilt. This is the clergy, friends. The ones who handle the sacerdotal responsibilities of the communion, putting out bread and wine and oil and lighting candles, not normally known for their work in masonry or hauling heavy objects. But they answer the call of God. And we know Eliashib's name because he was willing to do something beyond his self-understanding in response to the call of God. Or think about this. Just a few verses later, Nehemiah 3 and verse 8, Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah. Yeah, these people don't have calluses on their hands, do they? Making fine sense for people. For the call of God comes. And all of a sudden, they transcend their station. They transcend their self of, sense of self-understanding to respond to the call of God. Next verse, Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, he repaired the next section. Next verse, the dung gate, somebody needed to do it, <laughs> was repaired by Malkijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Bethachar. This is one of the elites of society, friends. And they're out there repairing the dung gate. And we remember their names because of it. See, response to the call of God often does that to us. Think about even for a second, think about the three books that are back to back to back that Nehemiah is a part of. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Well, Ezra, do you know? Ezra was a scribe, a scholar. And yet all of a sudden, because of the call of God, he's there and he's overseeing the rebuilding of the temple. Nehemiah, what was he? A cupbearer to the king. He was a royal diplomat. And all of a sudden, he's overseeing the work at the wall. Esther, just a pretty little Jewish girl. And all of a sudden, she's brought into the court of the king. And she's advocating for her own people, staving off certain annihilation. It wasn't something that she woke up thinking when she was a little girl that she would do something like that. And yet the call of God took her there. The call of God does that, friends. See, often what we have in our lives is we have this kind of self-understanding that we live with. We know what our spiritual gifts are. We know what our Enneagram type is. We know what our Myers-Briggs is. We know what our background is. We know our temperament and our proclivities. We know our gifts and our talents. And so we tell a story about ourselves, about what we're capable of, about where we can go and what we can do and what we can give ourselves to. And it locks us out of some of the work of God. I remember 
being a young guy, I was five, six, seven years old. I'm born and raised in church. And one of the things that often happened to me, five, six, seven years old, I'd be sitting in worship services just like this. And I'd watch my pastor preach when I was a little guy. And in that way that you identify a calling, like something in you says yes to something that you see, I identified my own sense of calling in those days as a little guy, five, six, seven. I'd watch him preach and I go, that, whatever that is, that's what I want to do. And that call, as the years went by, was confirmed in a lot of ways. And also, I remember feeling like I went through experiences in my teenage years that started to throw a wet blanket on the sense of call. Things that people said to me, things that were done to me, things that I did, ways in which I began to understand my own, this is who I am, this is what I like, this is what I dislike, this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm not so great at. And by the time I got to college, I went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I majored in business management. Maybe that was me running from the call, maybe it wasn't, I don't know. But I remember being there at ORU and I was in my sophomore year and I felt this like, I, like God was saying to me, like I'm still, like I've got plans for your life. You're still gonna preach and you're still gonna lead and you're still gonna serve God's people in that way. And I remember being in prayer one morning and I remember giving God a laundry list of all of the reasons why I could not do that. But God, you know, don't you remember like where I'm from? Like there are no preachers in my family and I don't have great connections. Nobody's giving me a platform. Nobody's looking for my name. And God, you know my temperament and you know my disposition and you know the experiences I have. And furthermore, I'm in the middle of this business degree. And at this point in my ORU career, you know, Mandy and I had gotten married after my freshman year of college. So I was a commuter at school and I'd come into Christ Chapel, you know, where we had, and I would see all these people with their emerging gifts on the platform. And I'm sitting in the commuter section way in the back. And I remember one morning in prayer, I was going through this laundry list. All of these disqualifiers. This is why I can't do these things, God. And I left my apartment that morning and I made my way to class and I was in a fight with God still all the way into class. And I'll never forget this. I'll never forget the step that I was standing on as I was making my way into the student center, belly aching to God about all the reasons why I couldn't do these things. And I put my foot out on this one step and I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say to me, don't you think I knew about those things when I called you? Like you think this is news to me? You think your disposition is news to me? You think your lack of connections is news to me? Do you think your pedigree is news to me? You, you think any of that is news to me? Do you think of this as a surprise to me? Andrew Arns, don't you think I knew about those things when I called you? And don't you think, again, Paul, he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. Don't you think that I can use you not only in spite of those things, but it might actually be that those things are the very things that I've perfectly calibrated in your life so that I can use you the way that I want to use you? Friends, God is not asking you to have your act together. He's not asking for your pedigree. He's not asking you to have things figured out. He's not asking you to do a thorough, rigorous self-assessment and determine ahead of time what are the things that you can give yourselves to. See, I do think that sometimes in the church we just get a little bit fussy with God. We go, there's an opportunity for us to step out in response to the call of God. And we go, well, I could never do that. I'm an Enneagram 4 with a five wing. I'm a Myers-Briggs INFJ. It's very important for me to give my authentic self to things, you know, and I could never... To, by uh, Enneagram 4 right here with a five wing. <laughs> INFJ poking my own eye. We limit ourselves. Don't you think I knew about those things when I called you? Do you know what Paul says to the Corinthian believers? He says, think about what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by noble standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that nobody may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Therefore, Paul says, let the one who boasts, boasts in who? The Lord. It's the obedience to the call of God that actually makes us more. It takes us out beyond ourselves. We say yes to God and we discover a self that we never would have discovered otherwise. Friends, when we say yes to the call of God, it demands that we transcend our self-understanding. And it's not just our callings out there. And we have important callings out there in the world that we're supposed to fulfill. But I think that if we're baptized believers, if we're members of the body of Christ, then the first call on our finances and the first call on our efforts and the first call on our gifts and the first call of our energy is right here among the people of God to build up the people of God and to see to it that the people of God are as strong as they can possibly be. I remember when we were getting New Life East started a few years back, holding the interest meetings and meeting people and trying to organize a church. And I, I sat down with a guy who'd been part of New Life Church here for 25 years, Dan Malinerick. Some of you might know the Malinerics. They saw New Life Church through many highs and lows and ups and downs, committed members of the body of Christ, Dan and Miriam, beautiful souls. And I sat down with Dan at a Starbucks and he started telling me about his life and his career and this guy, just a heavy hitter, working at a microchip company here in town, was one of the muckety-mucks there. I mean, just a big deal. And he sat before me and I said, Dan, what can I do for you? And he said, well, Andrew, it's what can I do for you? You guys are starting this new congregation on the east side of town and Miriam and I have been in the church for a long time. And so I'm just kind of saying to you, like, what do you, what do you need, man? And I said, well, Dan, the most important thing that happens for us right now is that we have a space to gather on Sundays and it's a massive effort to try to organize that. And I need somebody who'll serve as like a chief of staff for all of our volunteers on Sunday morning. And you've got tons of leadership experience and I know you've been in the church forever and I know that you don't wanna wake up at four in the morning and organize all these volunteers, but you asked me what we need and I'm telling you what I need. I need somebody to run the team that puts out the signs on Saturday and lets people in our neighborhood know that there's a church meeting in their neighborhood and I need somebody to get up at four in the morning with this crew and oversee them and stay there until three in the afternoon. And you ask, so I'm saying, would you do that? And Dan, without thinking twice, goes, oh yeah, I'll absolutely do that. Dan, who's working 60 or 70 hours a week at his other job. But what? There's an opportunity to help the people of God, to serve the people of God. Of course, I'll give myself to that. Because I'm a baptized member of the body of Christ, that means that my first obligation is to the church. So I'm gonna lay my life down for the church. And we are where we are as a congregation because of the efforts of people like Dan and Miriam Malinerick, who didn't wander around the church. Give God praise for them. And Dan and Miriam, if you're listening to this, we love you. They moved out to Oregon a few years ago. He got a big promotion that took him away from us. Sad thing, we're still praying that the Lord sends them back to us. But he didn't think that he was a big deal. He just served. Guys, there are incredible things happening at New Life Church right now. Do you know that? I'll have people come up to me every once in a while and they'll say to me, they'll go, Pastor, you know, I'm just really praying for revival for our church. And I'm praying for revival for our church too. But do you know what I know about New Life Church? That every single week, there are people who did not know Jesus are coming to know Jesus every single week. And when we hold our baptisms, we'll have several hundred people across all congregations getting baptized. And we do that after Easter and in the fall. And do you know that every single week we're getting reports of people, of people being healed or people who are on the brink of financial ruin, the church rallied around them 
or the lonely being set in families or people with their gifts being released. And furthermore, if you haven't heard, the prisons here in El Paso County are like opening up the doors saying, we love you guys. We love the ministry. We've been watching on KRDO. Would you please send throngs of people into the prisons to minister to our people? On and on and on and on and on and on like that. So I don't know how you define revival. <laughs> but what I know is that every single week we're gathering here and we're experiencing the presence of God and the saints are being built up and the city is being blessed because of the people in this congregation. Revival by any definition that I know is happening right now. So what are you gonna do about it? This is what I say to you, throw yourself into it. Don't miss what God is doing in this place. Don't miss the ways he's opening blind eyes and unstopping deaf ears and liberating people. Don't miss the ways in which he's lifting up the poor and clothing the naked. Don't miss the ways in which people are being discipled, but jump on this train while it's going because it's speeding up in a hurry. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? Which leads to the third thing and the last thing that I want to say to you. And with this, we'll begin to make the turn into communion. That one of the principal reasons that we hold ourselves back from the work of God among the people of God is pride. One of the principal reasons that we hold ourselves back from the work of God among the people of God is pride. Now, Nehemiah has spent all of this time in this chapter outlining all of the good work that people did. Hey, Artaxerxes, I want you to know about all this stuff. In fact, scholars will tell you that Nehemiah 3 was originally a letter that Nehemiah wrote sending it back to Artaxerxes. He's giving a report. He goes, hey, you sent me here with all these resources and look at all the good stuff that's happening. And by the way, I want to name some names here while I'm at it, Artaxerxes. Look and so-and-so who did this great work and look at such-and-such who did this great work and even the perfume makers are getting their hands dirty. It's amazing. And then there's Baruch, you know, son of Zabai, who zealously gave himself, remember him, but he singles out one group of people and it's this group in Nehemiah chapter three and verse five. Watch this. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa but who? Their nobles would not put their shoulders to the plow under the work of their supervisors. All these people doing all this great work, but Nehemiah singles out this one group of people. He's tattling on them, by the way. <laughs> and they have now been tattled on for all time. The nobles of Tekoa would not put their shoulders to the work under the work of their supervisors. Do you know why? Precisely because they were the nobles. Oh, we can't be expected to do that. Roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty. Get calluses on my, no, 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 no. I graduated from that a long time ago. See, I'm one of the nobles of Tekoa. I'm not one of the rabble here that's doing all this, but I'll be praying for you, blessing you. Maybe I'll give a little bit to the effort over there, but I'm not gonna get my hands dirty. They wouldn't put their shoulders to the plow under the work of their supervisors, they were so caught up in their own self-concept and their own exalted self-understanding that they would not submit themselves to their supervisors. And they have been admonished by the text of scripture for all time because of that. And by the way, there's something very interesting in the text here that when it says under the work of their supervisors, the word there for supervisors in Hebrew is Adonai. It's the same word that we use for the Lord. And so scholars are divided on this. In fact, if you look at different translations of Nehemiah 3, you'll see that some have made the decision to make this under their supervisors and others have said they wouldn't submit themselves under the Lord. And I think that the ambiguity there is intentional 
Because to the extent to which we submit ourselves to the work of God among the people of God, we also are submitting to the Lord. But what happens to us, and let me just say this to you, that the occupational hazard of becoming successful in life, and by the way, I'm not against it. There are some of you that are in here that you have become wildly successful. God has promoted you beyond anything that you ever dreamed of. And you've got influence and you've got power and you've got money in your pocket. And I think all things being equal, I think that God wants us to have success. But the occupational hazard of becoming successful is that we stop thinking of ourselves as normal members of the people of God and we start thinking of ourselves as better than. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna volunteer for kids ministry because I'm a humanitarian. You know, I used to do that, but now I kind of have some other things that I give myself to. Oh, New Life Church is trying to pay off some debt. Well, I'm glad that's like nice for them, but I used to give to church, but now I'm like more of a philanthropist is what I am, you know? Oh, you're talking about throwing yourself in and leading a small group and discipling people in the church. You know, I used to do that when I started out with Jesus, but I've kind of grown up now and now I'm more of an influencer. You know how many followers I have on Instagram? to the extent, and I'm saying this to you without any brashness in my heart, I'm saying it to you as a pastor with all gentleness in my spirit, but this is the truth. To the extent that we have convinced ourselves of that, we're very far from the heart of Jesus. In fact, I'd say to you that we've lost touch completely with the heart of Jesus. Watch what Jesus says in Luke 22, and with this, we'll make the turn to communion. A dispute also arose. These are Jesus's final hours with his disciples. Dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Who's the best? The nobles of Tekoa are rearing their heads again. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, humanitarians, philanthropists, influencers. But what does Jesus say? You, say it church, you, you're not to be like that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. That spirit is unbecoming to the people of God. That has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Jesus says the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules should be like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as what? If ever there was nobility in the history of humanity, it was when the second person of the Trinity clothed himself in human flesh and stood among us. And when he came into our midst, he did not act like a benefactor. He did not act like a humanitarian. He did not behave like an influencer. He was as far from the nobles of Tekoa as the East is from the West. He came among us as one who serves. And we are most like him when we do the same. Can we stand this morning? This morning is a morning to rededicate ourselves to what God is doing. And so friend, I want you to begin to search your heart here as we prepare our hearts for communion. The scripture says, have this same mind in you that also was in Christ Jesus, that though he was in nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very form of a servant and being made in human likeness, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him and the world is saved and you're called to be like that. And so now I want you to listen to where the call of God is in your own heart. 
your sphere of influence, your life, what God has given you, where is the yes that you need to give to the call of God? And the call among the people of God, what has God called you to give to this house? To the people to your right and to your left, the people in front of you and behind you, what has God called you? What is the thing that you give to this church that only you can give to this church because of how God has set you up? Would you begin now to just respond to the call of God? Jesus, we're saying yes to you. We're saying yes to you. You, the ultimate humble one who came among us and built up our lives. You exhausted yourself unto death and your spirit is living in us. So help us say yes to what you're doing right here and right now. We pray that you'd remove the hardness from our hearts. We pray that you'd remove pride from our hearts. We pray that you would tear down everything in us that separates us from throwing ourselves with wild abandon into the call of God. Come, erupt in our spirits with new obedience. And may your kingdom come and your will be done through it. We're praying in Jesus' name. Let's respond in worship.
want to invite you now to go ahead and grab hold of the communion elements that you were handed as you walked in. The word of the Lord has called us today to answer the call, to give our yes to him, to dedicate our lives to him. And I can't think of a better way to mark that moment than to come to the table. Because when we get to come to the table, we're reminded that we don't get to sit at this table because of how awesome we are. We sit at this table because of the work of Jesus himself. And we sit at this table with gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts. And we look at the example of Jesus as he's the one who humbled himself. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. You can break that in your hand. And he's the one who said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. So every time we eat this, we do this in remembrance of him. Let us eat together. Then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant. It's shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. We drink together. Now let us respond to the Lord in worship. We sing to him. You are holy, holy. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes. be in the presence of God together every single week and we worship him and we hear from him and it's it just never gets old it never gets old 
Hey, a few reminders before we head out of this room. If you're new to New Life, uh, we'd love to meet you. You can head out these middle doors in that corner. There's Connect Central, and we can answer any questions you have. You can meet some of uh, the members of our team. We we really would love to meet you, so you could do that there at Connect Central. Also in the lobby, you can sign up for the XO Marriage Conference. Uh, you can just sign up today. You don't have to even do it online. You can go in the lobby and do that. Also want to remind you that this Wednesday is First Wednesday, and if you would like to be baptized, you can sign up for that on the website. So many things going on. Also today, sections one and two, it's your section community party, okay? So uh, before you head out, go ahead and find, um, you know, go to one of those rooms, and you can have a snack, and you can meet the people that you're attending church with. All right, well, before we head out, I also want to invite the prayer team to come forward. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please give us the privilege of praying with you as soon as we conclude the service. And uh, before we head out, why don't you just open your hands like this. Let me pray this blessing over you as we walk out through these doors and we give our yes to God. We're saying yes to this call. And as we walk out, I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you that he would make his face to shine upon you and that he would be gracious to you, that he would turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, amen. We'll see you next week.